I think I'd be ignorant to say that Christianity is the only right religion. I don't know what the right religion is. It's just what I believe it is. Some people that I've met, it's just I've had friends, and and the minute they find out about me, or the minute that I I do anything that doesn't follow their religion, I'm they they don't want anything to do with me. There's a lot of good and there's a lot of bad that can come out of it. And I'm not sure if it's from religion that the bad or the good comes out of it, or whether it's the people. I respect a lot of faiths and. I think that Christianity is a pillar that's influenced by the other great religions in the world. La cristianidad es muy importante porque podemos aprender valores cristianos donde no podemos, uh, donde descubrimos más acerca de nosotros. My view on anyone who claims to have a monopoly on truth is that there's no one truth about anything. I think that a lot of religions say the same thing in different ways. Uh, well, have you, have you ever been exposed to a different religion and you, you walk away thinking, man, that was just weird? I mean, you, you think to yourself, if they just knew about my thing and what I believe, then they would see how weird what they believe actually is. And, and yet to them, what we believe is no, more, uh, no less weird than what we think they believe. It's, it's funny that in this world, uh, you know, we, we try to think about the way people view what we do and the way people see how we practice Christianity and what we believe. And, and I think if we're honest with ourselves as Christians, we could admit that we do some things that other people think are probably a little bit weird, right? So if you think about it, if someone doesn't believe in the spiritual realm or or uh, the, the metaphysical, the idea of prayer is probably a little bit weird to them, right? And, and especially the way that we pray, that we, we bow our heads, we close our eyes and fold our hands, all that, so that we can talk to an invisible God who's always present and already knows what we're going to say. That seems a little bit weird. And then, of course, there's, there's the way that we, we treat our Bibles, right? You don't write in it. You, you don't set anything on top of it. You've got to treat it with respect and, and gentleness. One time I was speaking with a group of students, and I was down on the floor with the stage behind me, and I was talking, and I needed my hands free, so I just took my Bible and threw it up on the stage, and the air got sucked out of the room. <gasps> and in fact, one kid said, how could you treat the Bible with such disrespect? And I said, look, guys, this is, this is just pages and print and binding. This, there's nothing sacred about this. It's just like any other book. It's the message inside of it that's special. But to them, in their mind, like the Bible was something that you put on the shelf and, and you framed up real nicely and let it collect dust until the next week when you went back to church and then you dusted it off so everyone would think that you were reading it all week, right? So there's, there's different things that we do are really a really, uh, little bit odd to the rest of the world. And, and one of the ones that, that even as a Christian I think is a little bit odd is Christian radio, right? Not, not the idea of Christian radio, but the DJs. I mean, who do you know that is, that is always that happy and that excited and that bubbly all the time? I'm like, dude, it's 4.30 in the morning. When you turn it on, it's like someone gave the, the Spartan cheerleaders their own radio show. You know, there's just nobody who's that bubbly all the time. And then, of course, there's the way that we talk. You know, Christians have our own language. We have our own jargon that we use. And in fact, it's gotten so bad that there's a, a name for it. Does anybody know the name for it? 
Christianese, right? We all know, we know the name for it. We know we're guilty. We're, we're all guilty, right? So things like hedge of protection or guard your heart or traveling mercies. You know, these are all phrases that unless you've been in the church for 20 years, you hear that and you're like, now, can someone translate for that for me? Is there, is there a translator here? I, I need some help with this. You know, and then we have things. I mean, what kind of images do you think comes to someone's mind when they hear the phrase washed in the blood of the lamb? Right? If they don't know what that means, it sounds a little disgusting. Not only that, but, but when you tell your neighbor, yeah, I've got I've to run, I've got to take my kids to sword drill. Right? What, what kind of images are going through their mind, like your kid practicing with a sword? And my favorite is, uh, you know, when, when most guys hear you talk about conversions, they assume you're just talking about football. Right? They don't think you're talking about religion. So I think we can admit that there's some stuff that we do is is a little bit weird, but anytime we try to bridge the gap between us and God, anytime we, we try to bridge the gap between the seen and the unseen, between the, the temporal and the eternal, there's bound to be some unusual things. And the, the problem is not when those are genuine attempts at connecting with God, but when those things are, are simply human additions. In 2010... Um, news had, had just come out about a sports scandal that, uh, that affected a, a pro golfer in his life. And I, I want us to just listen to what Britt Hume had to say about it. Tiger, Tiger Woods will recover as a golfer. Whether he can recover as a person, I think, is a very open question. And, we're, and it's a tragic situation with him. I think he's lost his family. It's not clear to me that whether he'll be able to have a relationship with his children. But the, but the Tiger Woods that emerges once the news value dies out of this scandal, uh, the extent to which he can recover, it seems to me, depends on his faith. He's said to be a Buddhist. I don't think that faith offers the kind of forgiveness and redemption that is offered by the Christian faith. So my message to Tiger would be, Tiger, turn, your faith, turn to the Christian faith, and you can make a total recovery and be a great example to the world. The response to these comments was predictable. People expressed outrage. How could someone be so narrow-minded that they would think that their way is the only true way? And in fact, we had so many sensitive people who spoke out against this. You had sensitive personalities like John Stewart and Don Imus, and of course the Sultan of Sensitivity himself, Howard Stern, condemning Brit Hume for, for what he had said. And, and many people viewed Christianity because they're under the impression that Christianity is just far too restrictive. And what our world doesn't tolerate is anyone who claims that, that they have a grasp on, on the absolute truth. And so we, we have to ask ourselves, is, is that reality? Is Christianity too narrow? Well, the simple answer to that is yes and no. So we're going <laughs> to we're going to unpack that a little bit this morning. And uh, if you would, open your, your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7, verse 13. And we're going to get Jesus' perspective on both of these answers, on, on the fact that, yes, Christianity is narrow, but at the same time, it's not. It's, it kind of seems a little bit weird to have the same, two different answers to the same question, but really what we see is uh, we're going to see that first, Christianity is narrow, in regard to how you are saved. All right, let's look at Matthew chapter 7, verse 13. Enter through the narrow gate, 
For wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction. Many enter in through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Two times in this passage, Jesus uses the word narrow. And even in his day, that wasn't a a welcome description, and especially not in the 21st century. The 21st century, we're all about inclusivism and and pluralism and and tolerance, right? So nobody wants to be called narrow. In fact, one one person has said, you can call me vain, you can call me mean, you can call me proud, but don't call me narrow, right? Nobody wants that label on themselves. Yet in John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And then later on in in Acts, after Jesus has ascended to heaven, Paul is preaching to the crowds, and and he tells them that, that there's no other name than Jesus given to us by which we must be saved. That seems pretty restrictive, pretty narrow. But, but the question really remains, is, is, that it, is it too narrow? I mean, this isn't really a popular message in today's pluralistic society. You know, everybody wants to be included. Everybody wants to tolerate what, what everyone else has to believe. And what was clearly seen with the backlash against Brit Hume and his comments about Tiger Woods was that, that people don't want to put up with this idea that one group of people or one person claims that they've got it all figured out. Pluralism is this idea that, that really everybody's right and nobody's wrong. It's like the y, they want to take YMCA rules of sports and apply it to religion, right? We all, nobody loses, everybody wins. We get to eat our orange slices and have warm fuzzies and feel good about ourselves and, and go out for ice cream. But that's not reality. Really, if, if you really think about what pluralism says, is it says that nobody's right and everybody's wrong, except, of course, for the pluralist. There's a, a great illustration that uh, uh, the pluralists use. It's, it's one that they use all the time, and it's about a king, an elephant, and some blind men. And the story goes that uh, a king brought a group of blind men in and and positioned each of them in a different spot around the elephant and asked them to describe what they were experiencing. The first guy is near a leg, and he's feeling the leg, and he says, well, it's like a tree. And the next person is stationed next to the trunk, and he's holding it, and he says, well, this is is like a snake. And another guy is is holding the tail, and uh, he says, well, this is like a, a very stinky rope. Right, And uh, he's holding it, and, and the point of this story is very simple, that it's pointing to all the world religions as the blind men, saying that no one can really have a full grasp of the whole truth, that you only get a portion of the truth. And it's, it's uh, speaking against this idea of absolute truth. Yet, ironically, this, this illustration reveals more than it intends, because what most people overlook is the fact that the story is not told from the point of view of the blind men. This story is told from the point of view of the king. You see, while the blind men can only experience a portion of the truth, the king actually sees the whole picture. He sees the whole elephant. 
And so while the pluralists, while those that, that advocate for tolerance and inclusivism are, are saying that, look, the world religions don't all have the truth. They only have a portion of it. And it's arrogant for you to claim that you have the absolute truth. In reality, they're making the exact same claim that, hey, we're the ones, even though you guys don't see the whole truth, we, actually, we have the special knowledge and we get the whole picture. And so their claim is, is just as arrogant and prideful. And they don't realize that, that they themselves are claiming to have a monopoly on the truth. What they fail to realize is that you, you can't appeal to the majority to find God. You can't find God's will and God's way by, by getting a consensus vote. You can only find God's will and God's way by looking to Jesus Christ. And when you look to Jesus Christ, you will find it. In verse 14, Jesus says this. He says, But small is the gate and narrows the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. The word find there is the Greek word hurisko. And it, it, it's never used to describe a search for something that's hidden and hard to find. It's always used to describe something that is found simply by looking for it. The Greek scholar Archimedes uh, was, was stepping into his bath, and as he stepped in, he noticed that the water levels rose. They got higher. And so he pulled his foot out, and he stuck it in again. And when he pulled his foot out, he realized the water level went down. And when he stuck his foot back in, he realized it went back up. And immediately, he had an understanding of the principles of volume and displacement, and he exclaimed, Eureka! Which means, I found it. Because he'd found something, discovered something that was never really hidden in the first place. Right? It's like when you, when you go throughout your house, you're tearing apart your car, you're looking everywhere in the house, looking for your sunglasses, when you realize that they're on top of your head the whole time. Has anybody besides me done that? Please. All right? Or moms, you'll appreciate this one. If your kids are anything like I was, or probably still am, if you ask my wife, from the back bedroom you hear, Mom, have you seen my shoes? And what's your response? Have you looked for them? Because more than likely, they're sitting in the living room where they took them off, and all they have to do is look for them, and they'll find them. They're right there. In this, in this story, in this passage, we see that Jesus relates seeking and finding close together. They're closely related. He says, look, if, if you'll just look for it, you'll find it. If you'll just look for me, you'll find it. The implication is not that many people look and never find it. The implication is that many people just never bother to look. And I want to let you know, if you look to Christ, you will find him. Because while Christianity may be narrow in regard to how you are saved, Christianity is not narrow in regard to who can be saved. You see, from the very beginning, God's desire was that all men would come to saving faith in him, that all men would seek after him and know him. You can go all the way back to Genesis when, when God makes his first promise of the Messiah. He says that he's doing this so that all people of the earth will be blessed. And then in Isaiah 46, he says that the Messiah, who is Jesus would be a light to the nations so that his salvation would extend to the end of the earth. And in the New Testament, we have in 1 Timothy where, where he says that his desire is for all men to come to salvation and knowledge of the truth. 
and most famously, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. In fact, if you want to go ahead and pull out your connection card, you'll see a spot on the back that says, Today my next step is. And there's, there's a real simple one at the very top. Memorize this week's verse. You can find that verse in your bulletin. I'm sure a lot of you may already know that verse. But it's such a powerful verse because it, it again, just reminds us of the openness and the inclusiveness of God's offer of salvation, not just for a select few, not just for a certain culture, but for all who will simply believe. Christianity is not limited to, to any one group of people, you don't have to act a certain way or look a certain way or even vote a certain way, right? I have a friend who was, uh, who was talking to his neighbor about Jesus, and his friend got, got really concerned, and he said, look, uh, if I trust Jesus, do I have to vote Republican? Like, he, he thought that was a requirement of becoming a Christian. And my friend said, no, no, that's, you're missing the point. Because it's not about what you can do or, or what you're going to do. It's about what God has done through his son, Jesus Christ. Uh, this is why, I mean, because Christianity is about grace and not about our performance, we find Christianity relates across cultures around the world. We can find Christianity in, in pretty much any culture around the world. In fact, something that's unique to Christianity is, is that in Christianity, God expresses himself as one but three, right? He's one God, but he expresses himself as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So even in that, we have this idea of unity and diversity. And so it, it makes sense that Christianity would be able to embrace diversity while maintaining a unified message, message of salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. In fact, there's, um, there's one African theologian who, who talks about Jesus, and when he talks about Jesus, he talks about Jesus of the deep forest. Now, that's not the language of imperialism. That's not the language of one culture being imposed on another. That's the language of a culture that has tasted and seen that the Lord is good and embraced the reality of Jesus Christ. If you're here this morning and, and you, maybe you're, you're asking that question of, of whether or not Christianity is too narrow and, and you're struggling with, with this idea of, of salvation in Jesus Christ because you think that it means before you can come to Christ, before you can come to God, you first have to clean your life up. That there's, there's some change you have to make before you can come to God and he'll accept you. That maybe you first need to dress a certain way or that you have to act a certain way or stop certain behaviors or, or talk a certain way. You know, you've got to learn all the Christianese first. Or maybe you're like my friend's neighbor who thought he had to vote a certain way. I want to let you know that that is simply not true. Because you see, all of those things are about you trying to earn your way to God. And the good news of Jesus Christ and the message of Christianity is that God has come to us. And he's extending an offer of salvation and eternal life simply through believing in his son, Jesus Christ.
Romans 5.8 tells us this. It says, God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Don't, don't miss that verse. Let me say it again. But God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. As we see in, in John 3.16, God's desire is for the whole world to come to saving knowledge of him through his son, Jesus Christ. And you can, you can do that simply by, what does it say? Does it say it's available to all who do enough good works? No. Is it there for, for all who give enough money? No. Does God make his gift of salvation available to all who will learn the right language? No. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever should believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. You see, religion is about man's attempt to get to God. But the message of Christianity is, is about God's attempt and the fact that God has already come to us through the person and the work of Jesus Christ. So again, I want to take a minute and just say to those of you here this morning that are still questioning whether or not Jesus is, is for you, and you're wrestling through, and you're, you're thinking to yourself, Charlie, but you don't know what I've been through. You don't know what I've done. You don't know what I'm doing right now. And I just want to remind you again that it's, it's not about what you can do or what you have done. It's about what God has already accomplished through his son, Jesus Christ. And so while some people may think it's weird that we do this, I, I do want us to, to bow our heads and close our eyes. And I just want to stop for a minute. And, and if you this morning, for the very first time, would say, Charlie, I, I don't fully understand it yet, but I'm, I want to say yes to Jesus. I don't, I don't really get it, but, but I do know that, that it's not about what I can do, and I want to place my trust in Jesus Christ. If that's you this morning and you're doing that for the first time, I'm just going to ask that you pray with me. And again, I want to be clear that this prayer is not what saves you. It is your faith in Christ that saves you. This is simply an opportunity for you to, to respond to God and talk to him about what he's done. So this morning, if you are here and would, would like to place your faith in Christ, I'm just going to ask that wherever you are, you just repeat this prayer with me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I, I know that I've done things that are wrong and that I have sin in my life. But God, I believe that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die for my sins and be raised from the dead. And Lord, I, I know that there's nothing that I can do to earn my way to heaven, but that you have sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die for me. Lord, uh, right now, in this moment, I just want to let you know that I'm placing my trust in Jesus Christ. Thank you for this gift of salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, 
we've addressed the question, is Christianity too narrow? And we've seen that, yes, Christianity is narrow in regard to how we are saved, through faith in Christ alone, but that Christianity is not narrow in regard to who can be saved because God's gift of salvation is available to everyone, everywhere, with no prerequisites. He doesn't require us to change anything about ourselves before he will welcome us through faith in his son, Jesus Christ. So as Christians, we've got we've to ask ourselves, why is the impression of so many that Christianity is narrow and that it's restrictive? In fact, that question ought to bother us a little bit. We ought to take some time to consider what's going on with us. Is there something that we are doing? Because we know that the message of Christianity is wide open for all who will simply believe. So then what's going on that the rest of the world has this opinion that Christianity is narrow and restrictive, that it's for a select few. As I thought about that this week, I, I imagine myself being back in middle school or high school, and, and I'd just gotten rejected or, or dumped by a girl. So I had to imagine, because let's be honest, it, I mean, look at this face. It never happened, right? Never happened in real life. So I, I just imagine myself coming home and running up to my room and finding my Tony Braxton CD and putting it in and putting on Unbreak My Heart. And I start singing along, Unbreak my heart, say you love me again. <laughs> Undo this hurt that you caused when you walked out the door and walked out of my life. And as I'm sitting there listening to it on repeat and just sobbing over my, my broken heart, right? What's, what kind of questions are coming to my mind? What's wrong with me? What did I, where did I go wrong? Right? Do, I, do I stink? Do I need to maybe put the entire bottle of cologne on instead of just half the bottle? Right? Or, or was it something I said? Or was it the, the way that I approached her? I mean, should I have not gone to her house at 3 o'clock in the morning and stood in the front yard with the boombox over my head? Right? Because why else would, there, there had to be something that I did, because why would this girl reject an amazing guy like me? You know, as Christians, we ought to be asking ourselves, man, we have such an amazing message of God's unconditional love, and a message of forgiveness and salvation by grace through faith. Why is it that so many people are turning away from that? Maybe it's time as Christians we, we put on the Tony Braxton and sat down and tried to figure out, are we going wrong somewhere? As I thought about this a little bit more, uh, immediately Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 came to my mind where Jesus says, um, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Jesus is speaking to an audience of people who've been oppressed by the religious people of the day. They've been told by, by the Pharisees that, that you need to clean your life up first. You need to act like us. You need to practice religion the way that we practice religion. You need to stop doing all these other things. And you need to start acting like us. And you need to learn our language. And then, once you've done all that, maybe, maybe we will accept you. And if we can accept you, then, then maybe God will accept you. As Christians, we have to be careful in the way that we communicate with those who have yet to trust Christ. Because it, it would be simple for us to, 
to quickly become modern-day Pharisees, telling people that, hey, look, you've, you've got to change this about yourself, and then you can come to church with me, but until you get your act together, I'm sorry, you, you just got to stay broken and messed up because, man, there's nothing I can do for you. That's not, that's not the message of Jesus Christ. That's not the message of Christianity. Jesus meets us right where we are. He enters our lives and, and then transforms us. Another thing that came to my mind was, man, I think as Christians, we've just got to admit that we're not perfect and that there are a lot of things that have been done in the name of Jesus Christ and of Christianity that in no way represent the real person and message of Jesus Christ. Now, I think the best place to start is in our own lives, right? When the number one reason people say that, that they don't want to become a Christian is because Christians are a bunch of hypocrites. Does the world, do, do we really believe that everyone expects us to be perfect? I don't think that's reality. I don't think people really expect us to be perfect. I think we try to be perfect for the rest of the world. And what, what other people can't stand is, is when we do mess up and we just pretend like it didn't happen because we have to put on this perfect face of, oh, I'm a Christian and, and of course I wouldn't ever do something like that. I wouldn't ever, you know, offend my neighbor or yell at him when his dog goes in my front yard. You know, I wouldn't ever do anything mean to retaliate. And no, that wasn't me. I don't, I don't know how that got back on your front porch, right? When we mess up as Christians, can we just own it? Can we just say, you know what? I'm sorry. I, I messed up. You got, you've got to forgive me. I've sinned against you. I need to ask your forgiveness. I mean, how far would that go in breaking down some of those barriers? What if we used humility to combat hypocrisy? And not just expressing humility about our own mistakes and our own failings, but on a larger scale. I mean, think about all the people that have been affected negatively by things like the Crusades, or when someone goes and they bomb an abortion clinic, or when, when people hold signs and they protest at funerals saying, God hates this group of people. God hates that group of people. How many people have been turned away from the message of Jesus Christ? Because that's their only encounter with Christians. What if when, when we encounter someone who's been hurt by something like that, if we were just to go to them and say, I am, I am so sorry that that's been your experience. Please understand that that is not what I believe, and that is not the message that is in Scripture. And then through our actions, if we were to take the time to really demonstrate God's unconditional love, that we would come alongside someone, no matter how jacked up we think their life may be, if we just come alongside of them and demonstrate that, that we love them. Uh, Amanda and I have um, some people that live in our neighborhood that we, um, I've gotten to know a little bit through some homeowner association meetings and um, just an encounter, we, we invited them to come to um, a pancake breakfast that we were throwing for our street. And they didn't live on our street, but they kind of lived around the corner, and, and so I, I invited them. And uh, to them, this was a big surprise, because 
they live in, in alternate lifestyle. And as, as they came to the pancake breakfast, we were hanging out, we were talking, and, and um, they were sharing about their lives, and, and they said, you know, we've lived here for two years, and you're the first people to ask us to do anything. And that broke my heart. I don't think that we're the only Christians in the neighborhood. And yes, you know, when, when we see sin, yeah, it's, it's sin. But shouldn't I love that person unconditionally and, and recognize that until they have placed their faith in Jesus Christ, their real need is not to, to change these other things, but their need is simply to come to faith in Jesus Christ alone and then allow him to transform their lives. You know, if, if we're going to do that, if we're going to express that kind of humility, the first thing we need to do as Christians is begin to engage the culture. And in Acts chapter 17, we have a great example from the Apostle Paul of how to engage the culture. At the end of Acts, we read about Paul going to, to Athens, and he's, he's engaging the culture of, of the Athenian people. And at one point, he's asked to speak at the Areopagus. And he's there, and he's asked to, to speak about his ideas because people have heard about it, and they want to know, what's the deal with Christianity? Who is this Christ that you're preaching? And so now Paul has, has the task of engaging the Athenian people with the reality of Jesus Christ and presenting the gospel in a way that will make sense to them. And so he begins his conversation by first drawing in their attention, and he gains their attention by calling them religious. In fact, the word religious that he uses there means that they are firm in their reverence for deities. Actually, it's not really deities, but it's the same word as evil spirits. And so kind of in this short little phrase, in one word, Paul gets their attention first by complimenting them for their spiritual pursuits while at the same time letting them know that their spiritual pursuits are misguided and misplaced. And then he goes on to use some of their own religious symbols, things like uh, the altar that he saw, where they had an altar to the unknown God. And he says, look, what you worship is unknown. I'm going to proclaim to you as the one true God. And then using lines from their own poets, he goes on to explain that this one true God is the God who created all things and that gives life to all things and that this God, the one true God, has organized all of human history in a way that people would be able to come to saving knowledge of him. And when he finishes at the end, there are, there are some that rejected the message. There were some that accepted the message, and there were, there were some that wanted to hear more. If there's one thing that we can take away from this, it's, it's the way that Paul engaged the culture. And I think one of the, one of the most important things that we see is that Paul continually tries to build bridges between the culture of the Athenians and Christianity and Jesus Christ. And so he begins to build bridges using, using their, their idols and, and altars to false gods over here and unknown things over here. And he uses that to proclaim to them the truth. He uses the lyrics of the, the songwriters or poets of that day to bridge the gap between the secular and the sacred. What if as Christians we began to do the same thing? 
What if we took opportunity as we, as we hear songs on the radio, popular music or popular TV shows or even movies that come out, and as we, we even hear stories on the news, what if we looked for opportunities to find themes in these other things that are common to Christianity? And then we use those themes as a way to just begin a conversation. And in humility, we carry on this conversation about the themes that are common both to the world and, and to what we believe, what we know to be true from Scripture. The vision of River Rock Bible Church is that we would go into our community and allow every man, woman, and child repeated opportunities to see hear and respond to the life-changing reality of Jesus Christ. We are a church that is committed to engaging our culture with the good news of Jesus Christ. And, And we recognize that the gospel, that the good news of Jesus is for everybody everywhere. And we want to demonstrate and proclaim the gospel on a regular basis so that everyone has the opportunity to respond. That everyone has the opportunity to recognize that God loves them unconditionally and that it's, it's simply about placing your trust in Christ. What if we were able to do that this week? What if every one of us was, was able to go out this week and, in, and live such winsome and attractive lives that display God's unconditional love to everyone else around us that, that instead of asking is Christianity too narrow? People began to ask questions about why we do the things we do. Why we go the places we go. Why we hang out with the people we do. And then as we seek to answer those questions, we use that as an opportunity to gently and humbly and respectfully proclaim God's truth to them. How much difference would that make? Would people still accuse us of being narrow-minded? I hope not. I hope, I hope what people say about us as we seek to engage the culture is that we're the most welcoming and loving people that they've ever met. And that as they begin to realize that, that we would have an opportunity to point them to the one true God who is welcoming and loving. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, God, we, uh, we are overwhelmed by the reality of the gift of your salvation, that you would choose to send your son Jesus Christ to die for us even while we were still sinners, and that you would then make that salvation and that gift of forgiveness of sin available to us, not through anything that we have to do or anything that, that we have to change about ourselves, but that we can simply come to you in faith and say, God, I am trusting in your son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, if we who have believed that message long ago have in any way distorted that message through our our lifestyles or through the way that we communicate that to others, God, we seek first your forgiveness. And we pray also that, that you would allow us to Seek their forgiveness. Give us the opportunities, Lord, to to really demonstrate your unconditional love and, and not only 
through our actions, Lord, but through our words that we would be able to proclaim it in a way that makes sense to them. Because our desire, God, is that we would see many come to faith in Jesus Christ and just have their lives transformed through his power. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would, at this time, uh, go ahead and reach for your connection card. And if you haven't had a chance to finish filling it out, go ahead and do that. But at, at River Rock Bible Church, our desire is that each week that you would come here and that you would leave having made some decision um, to take a, a next step, another step forward in your relationship with God. And that may be as simple as, as committing to memorize John 3.16 or committing to pray for, uh, for this church or it may be a bigger step. We want you to know if, if you're here this morning and for the first time you place your faith in Jesus Christ in a little bit, there's going to be prayer teams up here. We would love to hear from you. You can come find one of our prayer teams or one of our elders. My wife and I will be there in the back. We would love to celebrate that with you. Or if you still have questions about what that means and, and how you can do that, please come find one of us. Or, or you can, on your connection card, just check off that, that you want to know more about what it means to place your faith in Jesus Christ. As our ushers come forward, uh, at this time we're going to take up our offering. And if you have your connection card, you can simply place that in the plate. We want you to know that our offering is... Uh, if you're visiting with us, don't feel compelled to give. We are supported by our members and regular attenders. and um, So if, if you're visiting with us today, just let that pay, plate pass you by. Let me pray now as, as the plate is going around. We just want to lift up our offering. God, we pray as, uh, as we're responding to you through worship, through the giving of our tithes and offerings, that you would take whatever uh, we have to give, Lord, and, and use that so that we can engage Georgetown and engage the people of Georgetown who are in need of hearing the good news of your son, Jesus Christ. We pray all this in your son's name. Amen.